0: Welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack, and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about Toronto FC versus Atlanta United. And where do we start with that one? Canada's exit from the Women's World Cup, the Paris penalty predicament, Chelsea, Canada's chances versus Haiti, Chelsea manager or not to be Frank Lampard. <laughs> Adios to the tune, Rafa Benitez. Ugh. Adios to David Silver in one more year. And we discuss some old stadiums maybe later on as well. Ooh, I'll get you a little ask about that as well. We are here at BMO Field as Toronto FC just took on Atlanta United. Uh, but before we get started, you'll notice in today's podcast, we are playing a man short. VAR sent one off already for us, as Sean is currently off in PEI, so it'll be just the two of us for the next two weeks. And Sean, if you're listening, stop listening and go on holiday. All right, let's get to the matches. Toronto FC 3, Atlanta United 2. First time in history, Toronto FC scored a goal inside the first 30 seconds. First time in club history, Toronto FC scored a goal in the first minute and the 90th minute. And usually in a game like this, they'd be the major stories, but they're not. (laughs) No,
1: (laughs) V-A-R.
0: The major story is once again, three letters beginning with V. And you played hundreds of games. You've watched thousands and thousands of games. I played no games and watched thousands and thousands of games. (laughs) And it's comfortable. We're both comfortable in saying that we have never, ever, ever seen anything like that at the end of the game. No. Never. Never. Where a final whistle goes. And you can talk about your feeling in, in a minute, but the final whistle goes and I have an objective at that moment to get Alejandro Pozuelo within 15 seconds for a live interview <laughs> on TSN. you're on the field. I'm on the field. I'm on the field and Pozuelo's talking to me and we're, he's staying with me. He knows he's coming. He's like, Oh yeah, do the interview. And then you I have to leave. I explained to him that. And everybody else is asking me what's going on. That there's a check, there's a check coming down. And by the way, it's just coming back. Yeah. So I'm hearing you. I'm yeah. seeing a replay. And they were like, no, no, no. I'm like, the, and then and one player uh, I'll go unnamed because he doesn't know the rules. I don't want to embarrass <laughs> him. Because game's over. They can't check. It's full time. I'm like, no, they can. Yes, they can. They can check. And of course, there's obviously frustration. And I've said this many times in the past. Never being inside that pitch. You've been there. I understand emotions are incredibly high at that point. The focus and determination of these high-level pro athletes to get where they are is because of their focus. And so I understand emotions are riding high. Um, So in the end, I was told by the official, much like everybody else, that we had to leave the field. Um, every of the Toronto FC player apart from Pozuelo ran on the edge of the penalty box to ready for the PT Martinez penalty Pozuelo weren't having it he, he just stood by the bench with us <laughs> he just was done he was not not having it at all and then the um, Gonzalo PT Martinez had yeah. an opportunity to score the, the winning penalty and hit it over the bar incredible and then I don't think that another whistle went
1: no which I was waiting for because I was I actually thought he was going to have to Take a goal kick, Westberg, yeah. and, you know, the whistle would go. But again, we're in we're in uncharted territory, aren't we? You know, what he had essentially blown the final whistle. He had blown the whistle, yeah. But the restart for the penalty, did he need to blow the whistle again? I don't know. I don't even think Alan Kelly knew at that moment. Right. That man must be exhausted right now. It's, it's very humid in Toronto tonight. <laughs> um He had an extremely difficult game he needs for him. To he made a few mistakes. And I think he's probably just slumped and he's changing room right now, exhausted.
0: Yes, I would imagine. So so we don't think the final whistle went. <laughs> the penalty sailed off into the Toronto sky and there was um, incredible relief yeah. down by the bench that I was down at. Remarkable relief. I mean, who'd be a coach? Greg Vanney. Oh, um, I don't know if you saw the Bill Manning interview. that I did a pregame, I did. which is, I think, is very interesting. Very interesting. anybody who wants to go watch that, go watch it because it's uh, anybody who's got any interest in TFC should so listen to it because he was uh, very open and honest. The questions were asked that needed to be asked. And look, I think it's clear and obvious that Greg Vanny was on the hot seat. And yeah. as much as they like Greg, that they needed to turn this around and Bill Manning stressed mm-hmm. that. So he knows that Greg Vanny knows that he's a pretty calm and collected guy, but all the decisions would get going up and down. They get a penalty, then they give away another penalty. So in the end, you got three points and <laughs> that the relief was, was very, very palpable.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that their positivity deserved the three points. I agree. I, I think in the face of the game with was with penalty that he put away, the, the foul by Pogba and Richie Larea, I don't think it was a foul. There was no contact it there. I can't believe that VAR didn't ask Alan Kelly to have a look at that. Do you think the, there was no overriding evidence? Yeah.
0: Because the, the, the looks that we got... It was one of those. You know, it reminded me a little no, bit. No, it was tough. It reminded me a little bit of the Women USA yeah, game. Yeah, remember the penalty yeah, that, the was, that was awarded, and you're like, "Is the contact Spain, Is the not USA, contact? We were sort of back and yeah.
1: forth in a few texts. Yeah, think, we were. You, you believed it was a penalty, and I was because I think she, she just contact, but. I think there was enough in that one. That's a, It's a great um, analogy, KJ, because there was enough in that one to suggest there was movement in the foot and, you know, there was loads of things that were very ambiguous about the USA-Spain one and the Women's World Cup. Tonight, I just thought there was no contact and I thought that they should have took longer to look at it, to, mm. to be sure, because it's such a crucial moment. Well, yeah. It's the 90th minute of the Won game. The game it's 2-2. Two, two. Um, anyway, it was given... Um, Pozzuolo puts it away, and then up the other end, TFC just shocking marking, shocking gave defending. Give away free gave kick. Give away the free kick, silly. And then it was very central, and, and there was there was two sides of players, both the big guys on either side. Zavoleta went too deep. He played Gonzalez Perez on. He he plays a nice little ball across. De on, I don't even think he tries it, but he's, his arm's outstretched. Another penalty kick, and you just think, Petey Martinez, with his wand of a left foot, he's just going to put it away and we're going to have a draw in the the drama. And I guess the the gods were shining on Greg Vanney yet again and, 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 and maybe gave TFC what they deserved. I think they might have deserved that little bit of luck because I loved how positive they were. I loved the forward running. I thought Greg Vanni was bold by not playing a striker and it, it pretty much worked. Yep. The movement, the interchange between De Leon and Pozzuolo was, was was good to see. It was interesting. The young lad, Schaffelberg, was tremendous on the left. Remarkable. And What, Endo, a, what a great home debut. Oh, brilliant. Just stayed wide all day. Was direct, was positive, put balls into the box, asked questions. And Endo played really well, KJ. He made up the numbers Did. in the central areas. He got his goal. He maybe could have, should have got a second one with his strike off the crossbar. But I thought he was key to the formation working, coming off the line and making up numbers in central areas. And in the end, TFC maybe just deserved a little bit of luck at the end.
0: Yeah, Toronto FC conceded their eighth penalty in seventeen games this season. Their whole season record is ten. And I said on the broadcast that they conceded seven penalties prior to this and all seven of them had scored, yeah. obviously with the P. T. Martinez one in the first half. So maybe the of averages was there for them because to concede eight pens and have all eight going against yeah. you in this modern day and age is is, is pretty rare. Mm. So that's something. The point you make about the wide players is fascinating because Greg Vanni can't talk enough about the need for them, can't talk enough about the need to having them yeah. today in my interview with him at halftime. And I think it was a classic example, was it not, of not necessarily having the best eleven players available to you, but having the best players on the on the grass that they should be on on the field, <laughs> yeah. right? A yeah. little a little bit about proper identity, proper shape, yeah. And we're going to play a shape that we want to play with the players in those positions. And if you can't play in that position, you're out. And yeah. that's kind of a lot of the reasons why the way football should be.
1: Yeah, it certainly should be. You you, you can't ask people to do things that they're not good at things that are alien to them and I think that that's happened a wee bit too much with this team under Greg Vanny, trying to get these concepts and this way of playing and this um, style of play out of players that are not capable of playing it and I think they had the, the in-depth meeting in, in Dallas after the game and it was a lot of Clarity came out of that meeting. There was a lot of discussion. Eight to ten voices were involved in that chat, like Greg told us before the game, which right. I thought was quite interesting. Yep. And I think they had a bit of a moment there. I think they, they they talked about being true to themselves, individually as players, and being true to the group that are going to be playing for the next few weeks as, as more of the um, traditional starting 11 players that are away at Gold Cup or are injured. And they went out there tonight and they played like that and I I thought it was a breath of fresh air. They played vertical passes. They played it through the lines. Liam Fraser didn't think twice about playing a big diagonal or, or, or turning it in behind Larea was, was always wide, was always driving from that right-hand side. Schaffelberg was always out there on the left. When he got the ball, he, he tried to threaten him behind. When it came to his feet, he moved it out of his feet and he put it into a box. And De Leon was smart, I said in the broadcast, and I thought he did it pretty well. Pozzuolo was always going to roam and try and get on the ball and be that creator. And De Leon just played the opposites to Alejandro Pozzuolo. if Pozzuolo went high, De Leon played midfield. Pozzuolo drifted into a midfield area. De Leon knew that he had the responsibility to go high. And I, I thought the relationships tonight for TFC were really good, KJ. They were positive, more positive than I've seen them in weeks and weeks. Yeah. And fortune favours the brave. One of my favourite statements, I say it all the time. When you're brave, you deserve the wee bit of luck. And they got the wee bit of luck at the end.
0: Yeah, De Leon's a central player. Jury's in. Yeah. Yeah central player yeah like everyone it was bought and everyone said we got our wide player drifts out the game has been messed around a little bit been asked to do far too much play left side play left wing play right side play like fullback you know yeah. it's been all over the place and today he has been his best performance yeah because he's the kind of guy who needs to be involved in the game mm. he doesn't want to you don't want him drifting in and out of games like fullbacks can he's a kind of person who wants to be in the game and he can bring the energy in the in the in the, in the, in the midfield and i think that's something you can look at going forward um and Josie Alto, by the way, scored a goal tonight for the United States. Probably when he gets back and watches that game or the highlights will probably be licking his lips because yeah. he's thinking, that's the kind of service that I want
1: of course. for the number
0: nine. You play Put that way with a number nine and Pozuelo around there as well. Then suddenly you've got a different outlook to the attack.
1: There was an identity to them, wasn't there? They were, yeah. It was about getting the ball taken into space. Um, you know, confronting an, an opposite player, making him make a decision, stretching them wide, stretching them long, doing positive things, and and everybody played their part in that. I thought that um, you know, the the movement within the midfield trio of, of De Leon and Delgado and, and, and Fraser, who was excellent again, it has to be said his passing was was really good. He, he's still making mistakes, he's still learning the game, but his positivity is starting to really rub off on a number of these more senior players. And I, agree. I I think that, that Greg Vanney has to look long and hard when Michael Bradley comes back about trying to find more consistent games for Liam Fraser. He needs development. The only way he's going to get that is at first-team level. And and the youngster on the left wing, what can you say? We've talked about Bill Manning interview. you a pre-game, KJ? Anybody who loves football, please go and watch the halftime interview that that Christian did with uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, which is a very difficult name for me to say. I got it wrong about three times on the broadcast. Jacob Schaffelberg was tremendous. His smile, his exuberance, talking about his family. Just that feeling of I'm here, I'm on this stage yes. and I ain't going to let it pass me by I'm going to grab it and, and take my opportunity and boy did he take his opportunity
0: Yeah, it made me feel very old before the interview when he told me, <laughs> when he was a kid, he used to watch me on the footy show I was like, when you're a kid like I guess you're 19, I was doing a little bit of math in my head and I started to hurt like, kid. Just give up there right away <laughs> um, Greg Vanny's 200th game in charge tonight, yeah. and uh, we talked about him pre-game, uh, before the game and he got a little bit of a, celebra- a celebration before the match, as he showed 200 games as a Incredible yes. uh, achievements. So, sorry. Uh, I was doing some numbers, which I'll share with our listeners before the game tonight. Greg Vanny, and these are all competitions. So they are well, not all competitions. And we're, not, we're not counting like friendlies against Sunderland. No. <laughs> but major that competitions. Even a real <laughs> <game>? <laughs> major competitions, yeah. right? I mean, you've, you've played some of those friendlies in the summer, half baked probably. <laughs> yeah, flip <flat>, flops <flat>, on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, but Greg Vanning's first 50 games. Uh, 19 wins, 7 draws, 24 losses um 83 goals conceded equivalent of 64 points out of 50 games in all competitions the next 50 games 51 to 100 um 23 wins 16 draws 11 losses uh, 54 goals conceded in that equivalent of 85 points the next 50 games 101 to 150 27 wins 10 draws 13 losses 68 goals conceded equivalent of 91 points so my point here is coming it's bookended basically yeah um and the last 50 point the last 50 games which ended today uh, to get to 200, uh, 18 wins, 11 draws, and 22 losses. So basically, what that means is is that this win tonight secured a little bit more points than it did in the first 50. So his first 50 is basically almost the same as his last 50. And yeah. It speaks to the struggles that they've had over the last 50 games. Yeah, and that, you know, and my point being is that do you think tonight is the kind of night that they can push on? Or do you still see those alarming concerns? I know you said they've been very positive, but it almost has to be, does it not, the first one? Yeah. Because if they go out in D.C. on Saturday and suddenly show signs from p- prior, then that's not a good sign for Greg.
1: No, it's not a good sign for Greg. Um, I mean, I think Greg's a, a very fair guy. He's a guy who has a lot of respect for for most people he comes in contact with, but certainly his players and um, with, without saying this really clearly he sort of suggested that he's got second string players out there and he has done for the last few weeks and if you think about a TFC with um, Al Rowe right back and Omar Gonzalez Chris Mavinga Justin Morrow Michael Bradley uh, in the midfield area um, Pozuelo, Altador, Osorio I'm missing maybe one or two positions. Then you, you you see a side with much more quality than it was out there tonight. But I still think that there was many vulnerabilities out there tonight. Yeah. Simone was... I'm glad you mentioned Not that. at the races. He was nowhere near it, KJ. He was, he was terrible defensively, it has to be said. i no? Oh, if Joseph Martinez was playing tonight, he'd have scored a hat-trick easily. I text you, and you didn't look at your phone
0: until half time. When they made it 2-1, and you shouldn't because you're a professional. When they made it 2-1 Atlanta... <laughs> I said they could get five or six here Yeah, because they scored a goal Yeah, eight seconds before the goal. The ball's out and it's a, it's a normal throw-in. Yeah. A throw-in down the line. Laurent Simon gets beat across into the box that any defender just moves out of the way yeah. thinking about it, not even thinking about it. And the ball goes in the net and I look at that moment at Marky Delgado, Alejandro Pozuelo, and Their body language is just on the floor, yeah. So, credit that they came back. I think Atlanta's naivety tactically a little bit played a part in that, yeah. But my point being is that they're, 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 they're giving away goals for, for fun, yeah. And they can't be doing that,
1: no, they can't be. And um, they got lucky tonight, they played against an Atlanta team that were that were average at best, below average. They had a number of really poor performances, Pereira on the left didn't work, the lad on loan from Watford didn't, he was it. terrible yeah, he he? was Yeah. he, uh, Gressel wasn't his best, PT was in and out of the game, PT Martinez but didn't have a great game and they had a young lad up top and Brandon Vasquez his first start for his team, 20 years old, as is, is green as they come, has the makings of being potentially a half decent player at Agreed. MLS yep. but run his heart away, I mean the difference between Vasquez and Joseph Martinez is
0: Vasquez burned Simon too in one of those yes. plays in the second so half. So you
1: think about what Joseph Martinez yeah. would have been like out there. He would have been licking his lips. He would have, he would have got a hat trick, in my opinion. And so the vulnerabilities are still there. There's still some serious deficiencies with TFC, and we saw them again tonight. Uh, but I like how they were positive that they've got to play like that. This lateral passing and this get down one side and, you know, turn back out and go back in the middle just doesn't work. It's not modern football. We've seen too many performances like that from Greg Vanney's side. You told us the numbers, KG. that they've mainly came in the last few months, maybe 18 months, you could say. And it needs to change. It needs to change quickly or he's going to lose his job. I think that was pretty clear from the president's words that they want something different, they want wins, and they want a more direct way of playing, and they want more spirit from the players out there because at the end of the day, this is a business, and this is about making people happy in the seats and making them uh, come to watch a football match here at Beamer Field. And it's sadly dwindling, so it's up to Greg to make sure that that he keeps the fans in the stadium and gives them a type of winning football that they they deserve and they want.
0: Yeah, bang on. Pity Martinez's ball into the sky made sure that TFC didn't go nine games without a win, which would have been their worst run since... uh, a little wee Scotsman boarded a plane and came over here to play in May 2013.
1: <laughs> it was part of that run, was it? Yeah, yeah you, a few games. You
0: came in at the very end of the run, I think. You And we actually won in
1: DC, yeah, which see? is TFC's opponent on Saturday. See,
0: so it could have been synergy, but in the end pity Martinez made sure that it
1: wasn't um,
0: what a pity uh, anyway. <laughs> <I> Love it. <laughs> sorry about that that was a, a terrible one anything else on TFC before we move on to talk about another potential controversy with the penalty
1: no um, I, I I thought Greg was a wee bit slow Greg Vary was slow to put a forward on to go when and win the game when they went back five yeah I agree yeah. Yeah. yeah and I thought that was the moment to bring on Hamilton or Akinola but he waited and waited I think again shows the anxiety that TFC wanted to win but they really didn't want to lose um in the end, they got the three points and um, and they move on to D.C., which is going to be an extremely difficult game.
0: Longest. Um, 80th minute was the first substitution tonight. Longest, they've gone all season before yep. they made that. Yep. So um, we'll keep an eye on that as well. Okay, uh, to Paris and another penalty Ugh. where Christine Sinclair didn't step up for Canada as the Canadian women have been knocked out of the Women's World Cup, which is now down to the last eight as we discuss this on a Wednesday night here in Toronto. And really, there's only one place to start and talk about. Toronto, uh, Canada were not very good in the game. Best team won overall, I think. Yeah. But they had an opportunity. And the record goal scorers on the field, maybe, arguably, mostly likely for the last time in a World Cup, they had the golden opportunity on her boot, and she didn't take it. I don't know about you, but I was stunned. Yeah. Stunned. Like yeah. watching the game, thinking, Becky's holding the ball. Yeah, my first instinct when she was holding the ball was that I don't know if you would saw my tweet earlier in the day, but in the United States, yeah, it was game, class. That she, was on purpose, wasn't it? I think it might. Yeah, have been. and the is in, in the United States game, Alex Morgan picked up the ball to take the penalty, the second one. Megan Rapino had already taken it. Yeah, and she held the ball as if she was going to take it. Then they went to VAR and it, over looking at looking took at it. she still time. took a long time. She gave the penalty, and then Megan Rapino steps up. Now Grant Wall has since reported that he thinks that the coaching staff. Overturned Morgan and said, No, Rapino's taking the, the penalty. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's true, but my thought and my observation was anyway, regardless of that, is that going forward, the penalty taker shouldn't be standing on the spot for four to five minutes holding the ball. And that's how long it was. Yeah. Because there's a lot entering their mind. So let someone else hold the ball. Yeah. That penalty taker doesn't need to take it. When that review is going, you're holding the ball. Yeah. So when my first thought was that oh, Becky's got the ball, I'm like, Oh, well, maybe they're just going to hang out here and it's some. some- <laughs> high level thinking yeah no oh. no high level thinking um, and unfortunately uh the Jeanine Becky was the one who took this took the strike and I've heard all these takes about it being a good penalty I don't think it's got anything to do with it no it's, it doesn't matter that it was a good penalty I don't care whether she'd smashed it into the top corner we still would have had the discussion how can Christine Sinclair not take the penalty
1: can't believe it uh astounding decision by Christine Sinclair uh, a storied career that's been remarkable that may even result in her becoming the, or probably should result in her becoming the, the all time scorer in the women's game. I think she'll always be remembered for that moment of, of giving up that opportunity to take that penalty. How can she pass the ball to, uh, I don't know, is Becky 22, 23 young girl who has tried so hard this world cup and, has had a disappointing World Cup, in my opinion, Janine Becky. She'll be back. She'll be better for it. But she's had a disappointing World Cup. She's tried too hard. She's She's been anxious to deliver. And so it's, it's, it's meant there's been a number of uh, disappointing moments, in my opinion, for, from her performances. And so to give her the penalty at that point, some will say, oh, it's great team spirit. It's trying to kickstart her World Cup. Nonsense. It's the last 16 of a World Cup. It's a game where you are creating no opportunities, and you get a chance from twelve yards to run up and put the ball in the back of the net. And you've got your your all time leading goal scorer, your captain, your your talisman, the one who is normally assured from that spot as well. She yep. took a lot of penalties in yep. her career. I tried to
0: find them. I right?
1: Did. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she has. Yes. She has. Lots of penalties. Put it in the back of the net. Stand up and take the penalty. Yep. She has to take the penalty. Couldn't believe it. I was astounded. I felt for Becky because I didn't get a good feeling. I just think the World Cups went like that for her. Mm. Lo and behold, she misses, and it was the only real goal scoring opportunity Canada had. The attack wasn't good enough to uh, mount a serious threat or any kind of threat in this World Cup. And they go whimpering out, unfortunately, with, with that very controversial uh, decision. In I know mind. you
0: called it, I called it. Not, yeah. that not with not with Panama, back. But I was watching <laughs> it with the family, and I said, "I uh, save yeah. goalkeeper's right. All right." I knew should go on goalkeeper's right? I never went that far. I,
1: I just said she'd miss. I just the World Cup she's had in big moments when they've never
0: done it before. You go to your natural side. It's just it's just that most of the time. Okay, yeah, it's not it's not definite, but most of the time in a big moment, someone who's not taken a penalty before, they go to the natural side, right footed. Right of the goalkeeper. Yeah. Left footed, left of the goalkeeper. It's just the natural side, the natural yeah. decision to do it. Lindahl knew that to the goalkeeper. She's bouncing on the line and she was ready to go. Great uh, save. Great save. I have an enormous problem with the coach. Details. You've got to be, you've got to get it right. Mm-hmm. And he said after the game, the brilliant Laura Dykin, my friend, and we've talked about I talked to her about it. Asked him the right question. Did you have a predetermined penalty taker before the match? Answer. No, the answer yeah. is no. We have three to four takers, and they decide to between themselves. I'm sorry, that's not good enough.
1: Can't have that. You can't have
0: that. You can't have that. You, and then that's not just me talking. You talk about I, you know my obsession with penalties. I've talked to coaches about it for 20 years. Yeah, you know, I talk, I did a radio spot this week immediately after the game. Jurgen Klopp game against Fulham right near the end of the season. James Milner comes on. Right, Roberto Firmino is the penalty taker. Milner comes on. The whole team knows Millie's on the field. He takes my penalty. They knew. Yeah. They knew. Paul Pogba took a penalty earlier this season. Remember Mourinho yeah. in charge. Sanchez spit his dummy out, and tried to steal the ball off him, didn't he? Yeah. Pogba said, no, I'm taking it. Mourinho said after the game, Pogba was given clarity at the start of the game to know he's my predetermined yeah. So yeah. he was allowed to take control and say, no, I'm going to take it. So Sinclair should be given that. Now, if she says afterwards, I didn't feel right, this girl saved my penalty in an all cuff and I said to her, can yeah. you do it? That's different. It's a little bit different. I still think it's not good enough. No. But that's different on the observation of the coach. Yeah, there's no... Because he's assigned
1: her and she's
0: passed it off with the feeling.
1: No repercussions on the coach. No coach,
0: no. But this, he's allowing them to make the mistakes. Yeah. There should be, in those moments, on a penalty kick right at the end of the game. Yeah. You cannot be messing around picking and choosing who's going to take a penalty.
1: Well, I, I played with Alan Shearer at Newcastle and he always took the penalties. Right. and I've told this story before. I don't know if I've just told it to you, KJ. I've told it on this podcast, but every game, Bobby Robson would say, penalties today, Alan. And I used to think every time, what a ridiculous question. And Al would be, yep. Every time, every single time it was said in front of everybody within that changing room, Alan Shearer's taking the penalties. We all knew that. As if you could even get the ball off Alan Shearer in any situation. But it was just clarity from the coach. He takes the penalties. When you go out there, everyone understands that. And there's no arguments. Lauren Robert might be down the left, win the penalty. He can't grab the ball and take it. Shearer takes the penalties for us. And so I I learned that lesson then. And I, I do think it's something that every coach should do. But we're hearing more and more of it. We've heard... Greg Vani mm. after a game here at Bimo Field when when Vasquez, Altador, and Javinko were all taking the penalties, saying, Well, I you know, I don't I'll know that it was decide, between yeah. them and that. No. No. Nope. Clarity. He or she takes the penalties. If they're off the field, someone else takes it. If Alan wasn't playing, someone else took it. There was clarity that if Alan was taken off, then Kieran Dyer or Gary Speed would take the odd penalty. Rob would Lee. be on the penalty. Rob Lee took yeah. a couple of penalties. So yeah. you've got to have that level of clarity because here's the key point here, KJ. When the pressure goes up to the ceiling, which it would have been in Paris against Sweden in the last 16 You fall back on routine and on, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, habit. Yeah. You know, you fall, you you get like so anxious within yourself, you start going back into your mind. How have I done this thousands of times? And you start to go into your, your, your clear habits or your clear routine heading into the game. And that's why it's so clear, that's why it should be so sure who the penalty taker is, who takes the corners, who's in this position when you're coming on the field you, you your coach will take you, it won't be the head coach but it'll be the assistant coach will take you through, here's where you stand the corners, here's where you are on wide free kicks, here's who takes the corners here's who you attack them, they take you through your set plays so you know, well the penalty is the most important set play of all mm. you know, and so it should be absolutely certain who's going to take that, and lo and behold You've got someone there who puts a ball in the back of the net more than nearly everybody in the history of the women's game. Scored goals like that in World Cups, at home in a 90th yep. minute game. Yep. So,
0: uh, final one on this before we move to the men's uh, team, who are getting ready for a crucial Gold Cup quarterfinal on Saturday night. The overall thought about the women in the World Cup: not a great World Cup, nope. has to be said. I'm going to say something that may be a little bit borderline controversial, but it's late and I don't care. No, it's not like you. The lights are out It'd be more Field anyway, so we're still talking <laughs> right now. I was disappointed that the nation and those given a window of an opportunity to review it were not angrier. Yeah. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, absolutely fair.
0: Okay. I think if that continues to happen then the best we can hope for is is that kind of performance yep pressure pushes performance pressure has to be given to these people and when you are under pressure and you fail you have to be willing to take on whatever comes your way yeah and this notion that they played okay and they're moving forward and it was a decent world cup and they couldn't create chances but I'm sorry, I'm not having that. Yeah. It's not good enough. It wasn't good enough. And if you're going to be a top-tier nation in any sport, you've got to fall hard on the sword. Yeah, you got to fall. You got to you take the take the the good with the bad. No. Yeah. And this whole, I don't know. It was just, I just think it felt. It just felt too soft for me. It was too soft at a landing from something that should have felt harder. Yeah. I'm sure the girls in Paris felt it hard. I'm not talking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about sending repercussions around this country to ensure that things get better. That's what I'm talking about here in Canada, not there, here.
1: Uh, Canada's one of the the premier nations when it comes to women's soccer. There have been for a number of years. And so in that regard, questions should have been asked about such an insipid World Cup performance. And you're right, there wasn't enough asked to these players and questions should have been asked of the 23 players in France, of the players coming through, of the system in general, because we've got to a stage now in Canada where we've had some success under John Herdman, previous World Cups, Olympics. We all know the numbers, the bronzes and this kind of thing. Chapping at the door, getting close. Well, now guess what's happening? Getting further away and further away and further away and slipping more and more into mediocrity. And so I think there should have been a big debate on what's going on with this national team. Why are we not producing better strikers, why are we not producing a a, a more fluid brand of women's football that we're starting to see from uh, the Dutch and and, uh, the French are playing it, the Germans, of course, the US are playing it, European nations, seven out of the eight uh, quarter finalists are from Europe. They're getting it right. They're spending money in their program. They're getting the the athleticism and the quality from the play. Girls that can shoot from the edge of the area and wonderful strikes yeah, and good power Claire and Rost, all this stuff. Yeah. You know, I've heard the, the girls in the panel say yeah. that, but the, there was nobody in Canada, shot that got the ball anywhere outside the 18 and you felt like, just going to go in the top corner. There was no real quality crosses into the box. There was no real ingenuity to any of the attacks and that should have created a debate in the women's game because if we don't watch here in Canada we're just going to slip further and further behind and getting to the last 16s is going to be a, a real achievement right. instead of the fact we're, we're heading to World Cup, we're hoping to get to latter stages and, and maybe take the trophy home.
0: We'll get to hashtag AskAFP at the end of the show, but Mike asks, do you think now is the time for a women's professional tier one league to be formed for the women in this country to develop and improve? Makes goes on to say that most of the top teams in the World Cup have that right now.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think it'll happen, but I can see Mike's point. I think that uh, it's up to Vancouver Whitecaps, Toronto FC, maybe some other cities to step up and try and get franchises in the NWSL.
0: Great point. Okay, to the men's team who are in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup and play... Costa Rica slash no they don't play Costa Rica rip it up they play Haiti I say that jokingly because we all thought they were going to play Costa yes. Rica including me who had like pages and pages <laughs> of notes for them which I well, then well you'll be said, prepared for the
1: other quarterfinal that you're not, doing. No, not like, doing
0: people were like oh just keep your notes because they'll be playing them in the semis maybe I'm like no because if they play them in the semis that means they've beaten Mexico so all, all, all your notes, notes are, ripped up. are all done anyway <laughs> all these notes of like Costa Rica Canada's opponent for the quarterfinal yeah. who 367 days ago Brazil to the 90th minute in the World Cup before conceding (laughs) are rubbish all of a sudden.
1: Yes. Breaking news.
0: Really poor. Really poor. And we were texting each other back and forth during the Haiti game going, this could actually happen. And in the end, it did. Haiti are Canada's opponents for the Gold Cup on Saturday night. Do not take them lightly. No. But... What an opportunity for Canada to make a World Cup semi-final!
1: Yeah, what a chance for Canada! I, I, their play's been so exciting. Their their um their relationships, their spacing throughout the field, their their positive wide play. I think that's been a great theme for Canada. They've played obviously one very difficult team that they lost to in Mexico, and that they've played two teams that they should have defeated. But I have to say, in Martinique's case, they're a better side than. Canada made them look they you know they, they played really well against Mexico they it's only true. lost 3-2 yeah Mexico
0: Tata, uh, Tata Martino said after the game if we were playing a, a good team we would have got
1: beat yeah yeah they were uh, so. they were sloppy the Mexicans and um and Martinique looked okay but I can't wait for uh, for this quarter finally to come I think that they've got a difficult opponent in Haiti they, they have some interesting players as well they have uh, Derek Etienne from New York Red Bulls yep. plays in a wide area Uh, Nazon I think it is the forward he had mm. some spell at St Mirren he's a bit hit and miss but when he's hit he looks pretty tasty he's quick he's strong he's got some talent and generally just pretty solid pretty athletic side actually quite similar in profile to Canada in terms of the the kind of pace and and um and energy they have especially in wide areas so it's going to be a tough game but um I'm I'm fancying Canada here. I'm really liking the things they're doing. John Herman's got a couple of little selection things I think he has to get right and and hope that his players uh you know reward them and perform on, on the evening. But I fancy them to get to semis.
0: Let's see how that goes and obviously we'll keep an eye on that as the future podcasts continue. Okay. But Canada could be in a Gold Cup semi-final up against Mexico very soon all right let's hit some headlines first one being frank lampard to chelsea or not to chelsea at this point we still do not know uh darby gave him permission to uh speak to frank and they, the Chelsea said they would pay the four million that it would t- cost. Well, of course they would Obviously, um, they can't spend it on players. Yeah, <laughs> so, so let's buy managers. Uh, so at this point, um, as we're speaking, we, we may wake up in the morning and it's all done, and and uh, Frank's out there holding his Chelsea scarf again for the second time in his career, <laughs>
1: mystifying what, or what? What did they pay for Frank Lampard? Can you remember from 12 West? Twelve million, I think. Twelve million. Well, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here. I think they're going to have to pay more when they sack him <laughs> than what they actually paid for him. <laughs> As a player breaking news uh, Stephen Cole predicts Frank <laughs> Lampard will be sacked from Chelsea <laughs> well this whole story is just you're not, are you not thinking it's going to go well? I don't know because I just think Frank's at a point in his career he's not ready for this intensity. I mean, a brilliant player who is has dealt with all sides of um, the scrutiny that comes from being a, a top level player but it's completely different when you're a manager especially in modern football and I just don't think it's the right time for Frank. I, I think he should stay away from this. It's going to take some strength to say no to Chelsea but I think can't He can't say should, no can he? He can't but why not? He's getting this job again. He's getting the opportunity for this job again if he just allows himself to develop at the level he should be at State Derby another year. Well, or they'll two. probably go
0: back at some point anyway. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably managed <laughs> him twice to do a Mourinho. It wouldn't surprise. I just I just I just think they need somebody way more right prepared than Frank. And I am not Frank might be a world class manager one day. Just he's not a world class manager yet, and so I think they need somebody more prepared. They're they're fighting against two phenomenal forces in Liverpool and Manchester City. <laughs> they're fighting against uh, you know some spending from the other big yes. hitters as as well. Your Arsenal, Manchester United, Tottenham Hotspur, and they're. they're they're nowhere near ready. They might not even be able to fight in terms of transfer market spending right. against these guys. So you you need someone to come in to get them into right kind of shape. I, I, again, I'm not saying that Frank Lampard is not a, a good tactical manager, but I think there's better ones out there, I have to say, at this moment in time. And so I think it's a disaster for Frank to take it. I think it'll ultimately prove to be a, a bad move from Chelsea. I think the the media who are desperate for Frank to get it are going to turn on him like you would never believe when results don't go because it's going to be a great story yep. and we know what they can be like back home and this just this is just reeks of trouble for me.
0: Thank you to Clay, says who says it's fourteen point four million pounds was the uh, bargain that Frank Lampard for. £14.4. <laughs> 14.4. Uh, I think Chelsea got bigger problems than whoever's in manager whoever yeah. the manager is right now. They got a lot of players who. Uh, hit and miss. they got a lot of players who are consistently four out of ten every week. A lot of players who are getting older. I'm not quite sure the future of their club and what their identity is. So they got... Maybe Lampard can galvanize the, the, the dressing that, room. KG. That's the only thing I would say. Galvanize them. He's not going to be cheap, but he's not going to be expensive. If you go out and get yep. an Allegri or yep. a Luis Enrique or a big-time manager, he's going to be cheaper than them. So uh, maybe in a difficult year where nobody expects him to win the Premier League, yeah, that he can go out there and if he matches 70 points like Sari and gets them back in the Champions League and they compete for a do-well in Cups, uh, I, I can see it being okay.
1: He's going to get the benefit of the doubt for the crowd. We we think he's got a very good relationship with Abramovich. It seemed like it was always fine between the two. And he has the, the presence and the yep. status of that football club to call a few people out. If somebody's not pulling their weight, They'll be on the road. Frank will be able to, you know, drop a big hitter and everyone will accept that because he's Frank Lampard. So when you look at the elements, then then yes, I'm I'm with you. I just think he could be a perfect manager for Chelsea in five years. I don't think he's a perfect manager for Chelsea now.
0: Former Chelsea manager Rafa Benitez has left the tune. Newcastle United have uh, said that after his contract is up at the end of of the, the month, Rafa Benitez is no longer... No shock for me. It was The writing was on the wall the entire time. Apparently, Rafa wasn't sure that the day that they announced the statement, he didn't know it was going to happen. But he saw it coming. There was terse emails being exchanged between the uh, the ownership and Rafa all weekend. He called them out, let's be honest, for 12 months. A remarkable, patient man yeah. to be able to uh, you know show that he had a lot of poise and did whatever he could and really wanted a lot more money than was give, being given. So that was a disappointment. But for every Newcastle fan around, it's the worst nightmare.
1: Worst nightmare. The the guy tried so hard to stay at the football club. There was a genuine love there and a belief from Rafa Benitez that he could make Newcastle truly great again if he just got the right uh, resources to do so. Um, if we're to believe what we read, they offered him a one-year contract and no assurances there's Rafa Benitez. Yeah, this is the best manager that Newcastle's had in a number of years, tactically with the squad that he's got, maybe ever. Uh, and that's a big statement. You think of some of the guys that appeared at that club: Keegan and the Heyday and Bobby Robson. And but this guy has been sensational for Newcastle, and that's what they offered them. If that's true, that is ridiculous. And he'd had enough, and that was it. And it was he's moving on now, and he leaves Newcastle, and and. Who's going to take that? Who's going to take that job with the stature of Rafa Benitez? Do you think someone's going to step in there? I saw Ranieri mentioned. That'd be a disaster. Would you be shocked if Ranieri turned up at St. James's Park? No, barn? but that would be a nightmare. <laughs> it would be. Yeah. I don't like, know who's going to take it. Been recycled
0: three times already. Like, you know, like that would, wouldn't be a good thing for them. Uh, I don't know. I would have to think about it. It's sad, that. isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's a sad day for for such a yes. a proud football club. Yes, a great football club, a club of the people. Yeah, for the people. That's what Newcastle's all about. It's about showing the people that you've got a bunch of players and a a, a staff and a a, a management core that care for what they want. And what they want is, yes, they want to win. Everybody wants to win. Only a few teams can win. What they want to see is entertainment, passion, commitment, and someone who will put everything on the line for that black and white shirt. And Rafa Benitez created a bunch of players that were basically in that mould. Some of them more talented than others. And they had a manager who was tactically more astute than most in the world game. And they have an ownership who are diabolical. They have a management group that are diabolical and it needs to change. There's going to be drastic things happening at St. James's Park this year. Mark my, my words, these fans are going to rebel like we've never seen because they're going to get a decision wrong with the next manager. And the only way that this guy actually leaves that club is through some drastic actions of nobody turning up to that stadium.
0: Yeah, it's actually a really good. Um, case study in leadership, Rafa Benitez, because he did a remarkable job of basically telling the world that his players that he had weren't that good, but then telling his players that you guys can go out there and give everything for yeah. me, and then they did. Yep. And he also, as I said earlier, wanted so much for that club that he tested that he, he tested their resolve and patience, and in the end, you know, they they had to let him go, but he did it without incredible expectations. He wasn't asking to sign you know, Alvaro Morata. No. He knew that he yeah. wanted, he just wanted decent players. that he's million. That, that he knows because of the, knows the, the he, he's a smart, intelligent man who knows the profit rate, what you can get as a Premier League club. He knows that if you want to go buy him, you can buy him. Newcastle's got the allure. They've got Rafa. They've, and if you wanted to spend 52, the cash, two thousand every week. Exactly. You could have spent the cash. And he knew that. So he wasn't asking for the moon. He was just asking for a realistic package. And they never give it him. And they never give it him. And now they've lost him. And that's really sad. Really sad. And we've all been there. We've all been there where we work for people who you think, I care more about this company than you do, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Um, but you just got to keep going and going and going, and eventually you you just you, you can't unless they match that love and care that you provide. In the end, it's just an untenable relationship. It yeah. comes to an end.
1: Yeah, it has to come to an end because you have your brand to think about and and, and your reputation, and that's what happened. with That's Rafa. what he had to do, didn't he? When you're at a he club, a company, uh, whatever job you're in, KJ, if 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 your passion and 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 drive for excellence and standards. Are not matched by essentially your bosses. Then in the end, you get so frustrated that you have to walk away. You have mm. to go somewhere to an environment that allows you to to grow, develop, to prosper, and and sadly that's what happened with Rafa. And he gave them every opportunity. I I I mean, really, if he didn't care as much as he did, he'd been gone a long time ago. Oh, he would have walked. He called them out and gave them every opportunity to just give them that little bit of funds, that little bit of commitment. To go and 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 take Newcastle from you know just above the drop zone, struggling away to maybe top half of the table, potentially even just pushing for Europe, and they couldn't even give them it, and now they're going to, they're going to get their uh, their comeuppance, mate. Wait and see.
0: Well, Evan asks on hashtag AskAFP, will it ever be fun to support Newcastle ever again? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Evan. He's a big Newcastle fan, obviously. Yeah. Um you can feel his pain. I can tell it in
1: your voice. I, I can, really can feel his pain. You, you I know, I, I know people, they people they deserve better. And and they don't that they're, they're maybe like what we'll say, Mirafa with the transfer funds, they don't want the world, KG. No. They're not like I'm not going to say other teams. I was going to there. It's late. And I'm tired. But <laughs> and they're not like other teams where they demand and they want more and they expect more and they have this self-righteous way. Newcastle fans just want effort. They just want a group of players that they can chat about in the pub on Saturday night and Sunday and during the week when they're at their work. That's oh, What about him? What about the way he worked hard? What about his performance? It's all they want. Yeah. And they want a manager that they know is going to organise them in the right way and Now they've lost the manager. Let's hope they they don't lose that spirit of the players. Chris asks, what is the immediate future for the Toon? Well, I think we've answered you. We don't know. The immediate
0: future right now is nothing but doom and gloom, (laughs) I'm afraid. Um, Before we get on to hashtag AskAFP, David Silva has announced that this will be his last season in the Premier League for Manchester City, saying that this year is my last. I'm not going to re-sign. Rumors, no one knows about his future, but he did give an interview once where he wanted to end his career playing for Las Palmas and Gran Canaria, his yeah. home team. Uh, he did say that he could never seem that he could never see himself play against Manchester City. So it looks like the last year to really enjoy what I described the ultimate space invader. Yeah, that's what he was, and he'll go down as one of the greatest Premier League players ever.
1: Yeah, I love your uh, your statement, the space invader, because that's exactly what he does. He, he finds space better than uh, anybody else for the last decade in, in world football. Um, I said it many times the greatest Manchester City player of all time mm. I firmly believe that Aguero who knows if he plays for another five or six years scores another hundred goals then he might run him close but it's between they two in my opinion and they've had a wonderful history as a football club but magnificent football player just the brains the intelligence the heart the drive the leadership every part of his game is is really really special and 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 i'm i'm sort of glad he's going to walk away at the top i think that he's set that club up nicely he's been a large part of um the success and the sort of future the here's what this it means to play for manchester, modern manchester city this is what it's all about and i i think it's time for him to go he will not play in english football in my opinion no way oh, yeah. he's going to go somewhere he fancies maybe he goes and and picks up a a scary paycheck in in China or Japan like some of his his international colleagues or maybe he fancies some beautiful city in North America or like you said maybe he wants to just go back home for a couple of years Uh, but just a brilliant football player and and an even better man. Do you think he makes the uh, best Premier League eleven all time? Yeah, you do. Surely, surely it's got to be now. Surely, we've just talked about his achievements and his titles, and who would uh, bet against him picking up another one at the end of this season to to give him a farewell. He's he's been amazing. He's, I mean, Premier League all time is so hard when you get to the areas when you think of Bertram would be in a similar type position, yeah. and then you've got Henri and Shearer Cantona. and Cantona. And, oh, he's better than Cantona for me.
0: Better than Cantona. Better
1: than Bergkamp. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Just. And I'm the biggest Dennis Bergkamp fan I love Bergkamp. Fan going, yeah. But
0: I think so. Yeah. Uh, what about these two players? These players <laughs> were named to an EPL fan time, all 11. Ryan Giggs. Yep. David Beckham.
1: Beckham, no way. Ryan Giggs, yes.
0: He's better than Giggs, but he's not better than Beckham.
1: Oh, sorry. Sorry. I thought you meant should around. they be in the all time 11. No, sorry, I meant
0: compared to David well, Silva. Well, Becker should never be in the all time no, 11. That's a disgrace. David Silva is 10
1: times better than David Becker hundred, ever was a, hundred a football player. 100 times better than him. <laughs> okay.
0: 100 he's, times better. He's a
1: lot better. And he's better than Giggs as well. He's definitely more technical than Giggs. He's. I don't know. I, 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 ugh, it's hard for me to see he's better than Giggs. Giggs I'm getting was,
0: pulses, I'm sure, but I don't Giggs care. was incredible. Giggs but, was very good. Yeah. Very, very good. But did he ever reach true elite world-class <sighs> Status for a long time, like David Silva.
1: I just think a big part of why we think David Silva was world class is his Spain performances, and so then it's very harsh that's to guess. judge Ryan Giggs in that kind of ilk. You know, like-
0: kind of right, but I think of David Silva more of a Man City player than a Spain player. Yeah, he wasn't great in 2010 at the World Cup, and they and Delbosky admitted that he he had his mindset on a Man and City. When moved, injuries, and that's he his that when he had these injuries. That's why he couldn't get back. That's when he had these injuries in ten. So,
1: or f- yeah,
0: yeah. So I don't think. I think of him way more of a Man City player than I do of a yeah. player. You are right. He obviously yeah. contributed to a great era of dominance. Yeah. Um, but, you know. It's a tough one, isn't I'm it? I'm sure Man United you- fans are just throwing away their, their <laughs> radios right now or the podcast or whatever it's you It's the longevity to. gigs as well. But anyway, I'd,
1: I'd, it's hard to pick between them, but uh, you've just wait put your neck in the line don't i don't it? care mate. That's, what time is it it's almost midnight here let's pop
0: we all put our neck on the line at some point anyway so there you go you can throw pelters at me if you want uh quickly before we finish the headlines we didn't see it because we've been here but the vancouver whitecaps and the spirited vancouver whitecaps score two goals in the last 10 minutes to draw 2-2 at dallas including no lucas venuto's 94th minute equalizer the Whitecaps and late goals—it's been a—it's tr- been a big thing this season for them. A big thing for late goals. Uh, Derek Cornelius with his big one as well early this season. So they pulled it out and got a big point. This says a lot about the spirit of this Whitecaps team uh, right
1: uh, now. I'll tell you what—we've not seen a minute of this game, but what a gutsy team! Yeah, and 100%. and a, a, a team that are—I'm <laughs> going to be polite and say limited with talent. Yeah, and they're missing some of
0: their best. And players. And they're missing
1: some of their best players, but you know they've went and picked up another draw after what was a, a decent point on, yeah, on Saturday when behind they're behind through, again, you yeah. know, and I'm thinking of the late, late Andy Rose goal in Colorado that, that Luke and I called where they needed to win that game. They're a gutsy team. They're a gutsy team and a large part of that is down to Marta Santos, who is um, scrapping and scraping and finding a way to pick up results to keep his side with, within touching distance of potentially a playoffs in the West and and that's uh, pretty impressive to see that. I think it will stand him uh, and them in good stead as, as they try and bring in more quality, but they need more quality. They're, they're, they're not good enough when it comes to that, but you have to admire the spirit. Amazing,
0: yeah. All right, two, hashtag ask AFP. A reminder, you can just put out that anywhere on your social media preference, and we will look at your questions. And again, many of them have come in this week and are very good. We'll get to some of them in a second. Actually, i have got one right here. John asks, San Siro is rumoured to be demolished. Yes. What stadium do you love that is no longer around? Oh. Have you played in any of the stadiums? Well,
1: I've been on the bench in the San Siro, and it is a remarkable stadium. It's it's very basic when you go in the changing areas and all that kind of stuff, and a lot of concrete. But when you go in there, it does feel like a cathedral. It does feel like a, a truly unique stadium. And I had an amazing night there with Newcastle when... I think we drew 2-2 two, were two, a, a very good Inter Milan side and, and that was special. Uh, oh, what are the other ones? Any of the stadiums? That you, I'm, I'm trying to think I'm trying to demolished. i demolished Highbury. Yeah, Highbury was a great one. There you go. Played there a good few times. Yeah. Uh, I think my results there were five nil, five nil, and three 0 So against, I obviously defended you, yeah. well, Ivory. Um, <laughs> anyone adding at home? It's half de- a decent team. Thirteen Half decent team I was playing against. Though <laughs> I remember one time I was there, KJ, and um, we were playing against Arsenal, scintillating five nil, sixty-second minute. I look at the clock, not the clock. Yeah. I look at the actual time clock, which was on the side of the the, the main stand near that area. 62 minutes and I thought, How the hell am I gonna get through the next 28 minutes right. without conceding another goal? And uh next thing I looked, yeah, I did I not know how <laughs> and next thing I look up and uh I see uh Will Tord and uh they had they had Henri uh Canu and I think they brought on Berkamp and Wiltord and I'm like, Oh gosh. It gets to this stage. So a, a great team, a great stadium to play in, but uh, never came close to a victory there. No,
0: you did not. Never mind. Uh, some great stadiums I've been to, often in other sports. I've been to a lot of old baseball yeah. stadiums that were, that were around. Um, Speedway was a big fan. big fan of Speedway when I was a kid. I went to yeah. Bellevue uh, Speedway. They had an amazing track. There. Bellevue they, they was got, great. Got I went to the down. Dogs Air once. Yeah. That's the it yeah. That was that was the new one, and then that's All now right. since been replaced as well. But was before it? the dogs was this incredible old old Speedway track. I spent many uh, hours there as well. Um, Sam asked, "How far behind the US is Canada when comparing the men's teams?" I feel like we could like chat for like forty five minutes yeah. about that. We don't <laughs> have time right now for that, uh, but I think we're gonna, the answer is we're going to find out. Maybe this goal Cup we because are. they might be playing in a goal Cup final. Well, that so would be incredible. That would be it? pretty incredible. Well,
1: we might find out find out in this goal Cup, but we are going to find out in the the Nations League, aren't we? That's right. So that's going to be exciting and interesting because to answer his question as quickly as possible, I don't think they're too far away. Now, I I, I still think there's a bit there in terms of experience and and depth for the US, but best eleven against best eleven could be an interesting game could be one thing I would say
0: about that is that we all can play a big part in this is that right now the culture in the Canadian soccer men's game is very positive that is not the case in the US soccer yes not positive at all Hmm. you got a new manager you expect new optimism it is not like that you got a lot of people out that if they don't win the Gold Cup which I would I would imagine that they're probably not going to. We'll yeah. see how Mexico go. But then everybody will be out, will be out for them. They've obviously produced players of a higher caliber than Canada. Yep. Christian Pulisic is obviously the, the one. When you've got a 50, 60, 70 million pound player, yes. then you know, you've got a a different elite level yeah, of of play, a, a player there. And, you know, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, yes. those young players are probably at a higher level than some of Canada's younger players at the moment. But the uh, gap is narrowing, to answer your question, Sam, and we will continue to keep an eye on that. Bill asks, what do you think about Watford for the upcoming Premier League season? Well, I would say that they should continue to, hopefully, continue their great ride right now under a great manager in Javi Gracia. Yes. They have uh, continued to recruit very well. They just made an FA Cup this season. So, um, much to like about Watford. And there's I find a lot of Watford fans in Canada. So, yeah. the the uh, I would imagine, I don't think they'll be too complacent. The... They have a spirited group that compete every whistle to whistle every game.
1: Yeah, we saw a young lad, a Watford player tonight here at Bima Field. They didn't have his best night, but exciting young talent um, at Atlanta United and Dion Pereira. Um, Yeah, I I, I like Watford. I think they've got a great guy in charge. I think they'll be consistent. But I, I think that they need some fresh blood and it needs to be the right players that come in because I I'll, I'll look at some of their their key players Dini's getting on a little bit Yeah, Uh Fozzie and Go Ben Foster and goals is getting on a little bit I still think he's got some years left but Ben's about the same age as me isn't he I think he's 37 maybe is he really? is that right is oh. he a bit younger maybe Check a bit you. younger Check you. but um yeah maybe 35 actually a bit younger but
0: Yeah, Sometimes you feel 35, mate. Yeah,
1: sometimes, not very often. Sometimes I feel 50 as well.
0: Well, it's late night for you, isn't it? (laughs)
1: Yeah. But no, they'll be good. They'll be good under Grazia. But uh, a a few key signings, KJ, to to stay in that kind of top half of the table, do you think? I do. I agree with that
0: um all right let's finish off with a couple of questions about the canadian championship um 2019 is starting to develop into some exciting games coming up in the 2019 canadian championship in the um i was going to be a little bit cruel there in the bracket i'll just say that i was going to say in the (laughs) predicted bracket or whatever but i feel like it's been done behind closed doors maybe (laughs) i the gold cup who knows um that uh, Eric asks, which of the remaining CPL teams can go furthest in the championship? Um, B Colt 93, which club is most likely to be upset in the next round of the Voyagers Cup? HFX Wanderers will play Ottawa Fury. These ties begin July 10th. York 9 take on Montreal Impact and Cavalry FC take on the Vancouver Whitecaps. Well, all I say, all I'll say is I really want a CPL team to get through. Yeah. That would be class.
1: <laughs> It'd be so great, Any it? of them,
0: it's fine. So who's
1: got the best chance? Uh, well,
0: Cavalry are the best team, Yeah, you would think, But yeah. they've also got the hardest game.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: I think. You think? I think they do. Harder than the impact? Well, I don't think York 9 have got a chance to beat the impact. Yeah, like, Okay. Do you? No, not at all. Okay. So Cavalry have got a chance to beat the Whitecaps. Yeah. But HFX Wanderers should have a better chance to beat Ottawa. Yeah, although Ottawa's should, done should all right. Ottawa should, are in good form. Yeah, though. they are. Yeah. So um, yeah, just looking forward to the to the games. Should be good, and hopefully, though the non CPL teams take it seriously. Yeah. So there's not one of these things. Well, we didn't really have the best team out. Yeah. So these, you know, we're not going to play our best team because I can see that because they come thick and fast these games and they're in the middle of an MLS season. So you know, you play a bunch of reserve players or you know, not they're
1: not reserves in MLS, yeah. but you know where I'm going. Yeah. Fringe yeah, players, yeah. 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 You know?
0: um, so that'll be a difficult one, but we'll keep an eye on that and hopefully there's a way of analysing it fairly right yes there you go all right that is the show and again please remember to rate and review our review of the week this week comes from tom shimmer who says quote huge fan and weekly listener been following kj since the footy show days second footy show shout out of the night wow (laughs) and the insight from the two is as good as it gets one thing however is as a white cap season to go that i'd like to hear more balance between the three canadian teams we'll do our best for that but as we said tonight we were here at TFC yeah. so we couldn't do much else but thank you Tom we will try and fit in some more white caps and impact talk of course for you impact winning tonight as well although we didn't get to see that so we only talk about what we see that's what makes us fair uh remember if you have any specific questions you want answered make sure to use the hashtag ask afp and we will give you exactly what you want also don't forget as i said to rate and review to get your very own shout out on the podcast that's it for this week we don't know our schedule for next week yeah we don't know where we're going to be for the gold cup uh women's world cup semi-finals preview that we may have a show next week we'll let you know how the schedule goes uh, we We will have one after Finals Day on July 7th when Women's World Cup, Gold Cup, and Copa America all takes place on the 7th. We will have a show uh, following that, um, that week. Thanks again to Dylan, to Clay, to Sean. Even though he's on vacation right now, you better not still be listening and everyone else involved. Thank you. Have a good night and thanks for listening.